Warning. Please note this documentary contains language and discussion from the start, which some listeners may find distressing and offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, mate. You alright? Not bad. Are you free to talk? Yeah, yeah. I'm just driving home from work at the moment. Stuck at some lights. Okay. Um, I've just got back from that um, protest. <laughs> oh, how was it? Well, first of all, I mean, there weren't any dildos for a start, so... Oh, I'm, I'm... you asked the question. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Honestly, I felt like a right fool, but yeah, I did. Um, there, there was something else which kind of went on, and um, yeah, I don't know. I've had, to, I've had to take a few minutes, mate, to be honest, because when I was in there, it was, it wasn't necessarily the fact there wasn't a protest. It disappointed me. It was like just like the, like the discrimination, what people were saying. Just casual, like racism. And stuff. Yeah, just like yeah, just like that, and like just homophobia and just things like that that just like come out of nowhere. And it's like completely out of context. It's like. It's just like they're saying it like without a care in the world. Well, I think that that's probably something we should start investigating and having a look at, really. So look- it's literally that cash from out of nowhere. You've gone to a pub and you just heard it like that. I mean, that's... We see it all online, but I didn't think it just... So casual, like you're saying, yeah, you just—I I was sat there and I was just hearing it in the background. I'm thinking, is nobody going to say anything? So yeah, you're right. We've got to look at that next. Well, it's not just racism. You know, you've got homophobia as well. Of course, and I've got the perfect contact for that. I've worked with him before. He's great. He's very outspoken on it. So uh, I think we'll give Proud Baggies a quick call. Sounds good. Right. Speak to you soon, mate. Hope you're all right as well. Yeah. No, thanks, mate. I'll speak to you later. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Since the return of fans to stadiums post-Covid, it seems as if there's a new incident involving fans every week. Whether that be the scenes at the final of the 2020 European Championships at Wembley, a racial social media post, or just something kicking off at your local non-league club. I'm Owen Taylor. And I'm Jack Carson. And we wanted to go on a journey to find out if there's a troublesome culture returning in English football, and are we regressing to a time where football hooliganism was the norm? This is episode 2 of Turnstiles to Touchlines. Homophobia in football is still rampant, whether it be a chant directed at a club or abuse online targeted at a player. A Gay Times survey revealed 30% of fans would find two men kissing at a match uncomfortable. But what's it like for those on the receiving end of this abuse? What support networks are there for them? What more can be done? And do we need to take lessons from elsewhere to tackle homophobia in the English game? We wanted to hear people's stories, their ideas, give them a platform to speak and let their voices be heard. Now, as two heterosexual men, myself and Owen have never been in the position where we have received any form of homophobic abuse, but it's something that's still plagued in our game. So we wanted to find out what it's like being on the end of that abuse and what more can be done to tackle it. An eye-opening YouGov survey found that just 37% of fans think the game is becoming a safer space for players to come out. And as we said in our introduction, 30% of fans would feel uncomfortable seeing two men kiss at a game. But what is being done to create a safer environment? Who are the people working behind the scenes to make the game more inclusive for everyone? Let's get straight into it and start with one organisation who are making strides to tackle homophobia, not only in the West Midlands, but also across the country as well. Proud Baggies are West Bromwich Albion's official LGBTQ plus supporters group. It's an organisation who have picked up several awards for the work they do in the community, as well as being shortlisted for three consecutive years at the Football versus Homophobia Awards. Hi, uh, my name's Neil Basterfield. I am part of the team that runs Proud Baggies. Um, and additionally, for what it's worth, I'm also uh, the co-founder of the, the Pride House for the Birmingham Commonwealth Games this year. 
I mean, the story of Proud Bag is, is that um, you know, we set it up back in 2017 when there was, you know, very few uh, LGBTQ plus supporter groups at that time in football. Uh, my colleague and good friend Piero Zizi had started the group um and he'd been in conversations with the club and you know they were they've got a launch and then i'd come in you know a little bit at, at that point having decided that you know i wanted to get involved in something to do with lgbtq plus activism um the time was right for me i you know pointed my career where i had a bit of free time etc cetera, etc cetera. so i got involved and and, that, and at that point then we kind of, you know, started grow started growing and, and and turning us really into, you know, an organised support group. Not just about welcoming. Our number one uh, priority is to provide an environment for LGBTQ plus fans, um, a network, and, and you know, to to not to ensure safety, but to try and make our mission is to make uh, West Bromwich Albion fully inclusive and safe and a safe. A welcoming environment for LGBTQ plus supporters but over the years that's kind of grown and you know now we're involved in the kind of national debate we work very much in the local community promoting LGBTQ plus rights and, and inclusion everywhere and that's led as I said earlier to the to the, the you know the involvement in the, in the Pride House for the Commonwealth Games. LGBTQ plus engagement in sport is really low you know it's just it's interesting, like, it's almost like gay men are not expected to be into football, for example, and lesbians absolutely are. And those two facts are absolutely not true in reality. But the amount of, uh, you know, I think it starts at school where, you know, unless you're the kind of sort of super sporty person, you're not really encouraged to get involved in sport. And a lot of certainly gay men or you know children at that as they are then just never really connect with sport through school because of the kind of macho image that it has certainly amongst boys that then translates itself into later life and we see participation being quite low amongst the gay community and certainly fans because they don't see it as a place that they feel welcome or they want to go. As you heard there, Neil felt as if there's still a stereotype around gay men not being expected to be in football, which is actually quite sad to hear. And he also spoke about it being an educational problem and young people not being encouraged to take up sport. But it is the little things like this that go unnoticed and it's one of the reasons as to why homophobia is still so rife in football. So what kind of support do LGBTQ plus fan groups get? While Pride in Football currently has 22 members, these are groups officially recognised by their clubs. There are more out there, but when you think there's 92 teams in England's top four divisions, it really isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, and according to Pride Football, it's estimated that around 6% of the population are lesbian, gay, bisexual and trans. And in football terms, that's more than 2,000 LGBT fans at an average Premier League game, or 5,000 at Wembley. So back to Proud Baggies, well as we mentioned before, they have been nominated and received several awards for what they do and their work in the community, but of course that's not their main goal. They want to target those who don't understand why an organisation like theirs is there in the first place. So what is the support for Proud Baggies like? Interestingly, there's three camps, in, and, and this has not changed. So there are a, a, a very supportive group of people who will tell you it's about time too, great stuff, this is needed. And those are, you know, not just LGBT 
LGBTQ plus people, but you know, uh, allies as well. Then you have probably the majority who are quite silent about it and maybe indifferent on that front. Um, and then you have a minority somehow think that sort of looking for special treatment, as they would term it, somehow detracts from them. And therefore, you know, they don't like it. And so they'll say lots of things like no one cares, of which, of course, they're taking the time to go on social media and write, I don't care, which kind of suggests they do. And what's the problem? I've never heard any homophobia in a football ground. It's not an issue. You know, we got a lot of that, a lot of stupidity. Yeah, I'd, you know, that 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 balance probably hasn't changed. And the people that we're, we're obviously very support, very thankful for our allies and supporters but the people we really want to try and influence are you know what we call this movable middle so the middle ground are the people who are by no means homophobic but perhaps don't really understand and maybe if you talk to them they'd be like I don't really see it you know typically men who have not really owned their privilege and don't really understand discrimination because maybe it's not happened to them and that's that's a group of people that we you know that you can have a conversation with right that you can explain with information data experience who will then go oh right okay and then they move from being kind of apathetic allies so not negative or anti you know uh, the cause at all but they move from being a bit apathetic into becoming advocates really being supportive and that's what we need we need active allies people who will stand up the people who in the pub you know will stand up for you and stop people being homophobic or saying you know making ridiculous comments it's interesting to pick up there on the point that neil mentioned about the need for people to stand up against comments that are made shocking statistics about homophobia in football were revealed by gay times and paddy power after speaking with 1,010 heterosexual football fans across the country, the YouGov survey revealed 63% of fans said they wouldn't feel comfortable confronting someone for using homophobic abuse, which is just a crazy stat. So you wonder whether what we spoke about in episode one sort of has an influence over this. Does a rise in poor fan behaviour and that hooliganism culture sort of begin to take over and lead to that increase in homophobia in football? Well, it's certainly what Neil Basterfield felt. Yeah, I, I mean, we are seeing that definitely. And uh, definitely there is a rise across all clubs are seeing it. We, you know, we're hooked into the Football Sports Association. So, you know, I see a lot of traffic. Nearly every club is seeing an increase in, you know, violence and, and vandalism. You know, maybe it's small to start with, but, you know, it's a worrying trend for sure. I think a lot of right-wing groups far right-wing groups who dare i say are possibly responsible for a lot of this feel empowered right now to do this kind of thing the discrimination and the enabling of discrimination by in this country since brexit has just got worse and i just think yeah people thugs basically feel more empowered these days than they have for a long time you know this whole the concept of like this wokeness is seen to be a criticism and a, neg- and a negative. There's a discompassionate nature to people at the moment. You're allowed to criticise people who are for being caring <laughs> and wanting to be thoughtful to others. And it seems to be OK to call them, you know, woke lefties. Not enough people are saying it's wrong. But, you know, since I've been going for the last 20 years or so, homophobia, racism, it's rife. 
And it's really interesting because you hide in plain sight. No one can look at me and go, oh, there's a gay person, so I better not say anything homophobic. In the same way, maybe that they curb their racism. If they see other, you know, black or Asian people around, they don't do that. So people feel, and, and most of the homophobia that we hear is either chanting at ridiculous comments at other fans, uh, Brighton get a lot of it, Chelsea get a lot of it, or at players and questioning their bit when they go over too easy or they're not playing up, working hard enough. The whole man up thing that just comes into like they get you know getting called like homophobic names and that sort of thing. That happens. It happens every week, probably every game. Last time I heard it was probably about a month ago. So, you know, it's alive and kicking, unfortunately. And we report it. Ground staff are way better now at dealing with things than they ever have been. Um, but it's still quite hard to deal with. Mm. How does that make you feel, though? Uh, re- uh, just horrible. It's some, you know, it's ridiculous when you think about it, because people will say to you, oh, you know, you just need to grow up and you need to get put on it. It's only banter and all that sort of thing. But actually, when something that sets at your very core of the person that you are is being used against you or people around you, it is incredibly disturbing and unsettling. And that's why people won't necessarily challenge it. But there's a big culture of if you hear something, you must call it out. You must go and challenge and tell and say to people. And I'm all for that if people feel comfortable doing it. But actually, a lot of a lot of us, me included, don't feel comfortable because when I've seen that happen, you end up in a debate when you're trying to watch a football match, right? And you end up with people disagreeing with you and say, oh, I never meant any harm by, oh, God, you know, get get over yourself. I remember once at Chelsea away, we sat, you sit right next to the away fans, you know, and there's a row of stewards. And they were doing the rent boy chant and, and a Chelsea steward told one of our fans to cut it out and stop it, which he did. And then at half time, some other people around us had heard this and seen the steward tell him to stop it. And there was a 20-minute discussion between the steward. Well, it wasn't really a discussion. It was, you know, ranting. The steward and the our fans telling the steward, why, what on earth were you talking about? Why can't you say rent boys? Rent boys are a thing. It's not a problem. What's homophobic about that? Nothing. I was sat there with a colleague of mine just wanting to disappear, just thinking, these are, you know, I'm supposed to be like they have an affinity with these people because we're all fans together just a perfect example of why you probably wouldn't want to call something out at that point best way to deal with it in my view is through education and through groups like ours telling our stories and explaining why not a good idea to do this kind of stuff and the more you do that the less acceptable it will become and eventually the hope is that it will die out it's a real shame after all the work proud baggies do, there's still these scenarios, even amongst their own fans, that they have to deal with. And staying in Birmingham, another group who are all too familiar with this kind of abuse is the Birmingham Blaze Sunday League team. And we spoke with a few of their players, first of all Matt Page, who told us what the team was all about. So it was formed in 2005. Basically, it just started off as just a kickabout. And then it sort of went from there, formed as a team, LGBT positive, trying to you know have inclusivity in football. and create a place where anyone can go and you don't need to feel scared about playing football. Around the time they were formed, so the first meeting they had was in like summer 2005 and then they joined the GFSN Football League, which is the uh, Football Supporters Network. And that's basically like, it's a league with teams up and down the country 
they do like six aside tournaments, seven aside tournaments. Uh, they have an, like an 11 aside league and an 11 aside cup that we were in this season as well. They got involved through that and they did that for several years, sort of sometimes not always playing competitive football, but, you know, having friendlies and like fun training sessions. And then in like 2017 kind of time, they made the transition to proper Sunday league team in the local Birmingham Sunday league. And that's sort of, that's where they're at now. A stat from Stonewall highlights that one in eight LGBT people avoid going to the gym or participating in sports groups because of fear of discrimination and harassment. And with what you're about to hear, it's no reason 12% are avoiding participating in sports because of abuse. Birmingham Blaze currently play every Sunday in the Festival League. Being an LGBTQ plus positive team, Blaze unfortunately receive homophobic abuse. But myself and Jack were shocked to hear some of the stuff they have suffered, as Matt told us all. Recently, we played a game against like a, a local team in our league. Uh, it was just a, like a Sunday league game. It wasn't GFSN, obviously. The team, the team we were playing, they they didn't like the fact that we were beating them. Basically, I think they are they're quite a quite a good team. We've been like quite low in the league this season. I don't think by Blaze standards, I don't think it's actually been a great season. But recently, we've definitely picked it up, and this is one of the games where we really picked up the pace, and we were winning. And I don't think they liked that we were winning. And unfortunately, I think this is the issue with football and the issue that teams have with us, like Blaze. When they got really frustrated and they started getting really, we used the word triggered, they just jumped straight to homophobia. Um, but a guy who was watching on the sideline, he was with. He was literally with their team. Midway through the second half, we were winning 2-0 at this point. He basically just shouted faggots in the middle of the game. And then when I sort of said, I was like, mate, that's out of order. He got quite aggressive towards me. Luckily, there were quite a few people on our bench that sort of managed to step in the way, which I was really like, I really appreciated. When all the players then ran over because they could see it getting really graphic, they then started saying, he was like, no, I was talking about fags as in like a uh, cigarette. The thing about that that was a little bit like, eh, was, he had literally said to my face earlier when I said, no, what you've just said is homophobic, mate. He said, yeah, I know, I don't care. And it was like, so you did, you did mean it in a homophobic way. You've just changed your mind because now there's 20 people here and you've realised that you've been caught out for saying something really bad, basically. His team knew the second he'd said it. They knew why he'd said it, but also to their credit, they did tell him, like, you can't say that, mate. Like, you, you can't say that to the, these guys. I mean, you can't say it to anyone, but it's just not right. But there's a six-a-side team that a few of the Blaze players play for. Literally the other night, this like little like scuffle sort of kicked out um, at the end of the game. One of the players on our team, I think it's to do with a t-shirt he was wearing or something that was like quite colourful. One of uh, the players on the opposing team called him Camp, and it was like, and then we spent like another five minutes saying, "But what is wrong with that? Like, why are you using that as an insult?" But I felt like this this feeling of like the people were annoyed at me because. I had sort of been involved in like a, an aggressive sort of incident that had kind of overshadowed the game a little bit because it was a great game of football. But unfortunately, the thing most people would remember about it was that aggressive event at the end. And I do remember this feeling of like, like are people are people like annoyed at me because I've sort of, you could say I kind of caused that. But then I remembered in my head, but I was like, but but no. Like I spoke to a few of the players afterwards and they, they said, no, like, like you should never have to apologise for sticking up to a person like that. And I kind of thought, I was like, yeah, do you know what, actually right. All I've done is call someone out on, you know, an extremely homophobic uh, slur that they've made for absolutely no reason during a game. You know, the way we dealt with it is we all we all got together at the end. We said, right, we're going to leave the pitch together to be safe. We all went for a pint afterwards. Liam kind of tried to cheer me up because I think he could see I was quite like visibly upset by what had happened. That's, that's how that sort of thing's got to be combated, to be honest. Teams like us and just teams in general, we just need to band together around it. 
form a circle or you know form a circle around the people involved and just uh you know put an arm around them sort of thing there's very few words to sum up what they had to go through it's shocking it's sad to hear and it goes to show that the abuse isn't just at the elite level and that end of football it's happening all over the place we know it's rife amongst the game and even with all that Blaze stand for Matt revealed that people are hesitant to join because of the nature of the club I can think of if I'm thinking of personal experiences I've actually asked quite a few uh, friends to join Blaze during the winter and we weren't getting a lot of players for certain games um, I did ask, I was like, oh, like, you know, we need some sort of like younger sort of fitter lads. Um, I was like, would you mind coming? And I would always say at the end of the message, just so they knew, I would say like, oh, by the way, the team was started as an LGBT team. It's really not a big deal sort of thing. Like, it's just a bunch of lads that love playing football. Um, but I think I should let you know anyway. And I'm not sure if it's for that reason, but only a very few very limited number of friends have ever said, yeah, like, I would like to play. So I think on my on my sense, I think there is there is that. I think some people kind of view it differently for some reason. I don't know why, but it's quite a common thing for people to be really hesitant about joining Blaze because of the, the sort of very outward, like you said, proud nature of it. But my advice to those sort of people would be just just come because it's such a loving environment it's going to be a really it's going to be a really safe space also no one's going to no one's going to out you if you join the team like you don't have to be gay to play for players we have loads of straight players so it's it's not like you join and it's like oh they're gay they're bisexual they're transgender like it's it, it doesn't work like that at all so yes my advice would be just come down but i did it is quite common for players to be hesitant about joining because of the nature of those so where do these problems come from and what are the solutions does a player need to come out in the premier league to change the landscape and understanding of course there was a breakthrough when josh cavallo who plays in the a league became the first openly gay professional footballer we spoke to the chairman of Birmingham Blaze, Liam Rivers, and club captain Nathan Brown, who's also on the committee, and got their thoughts of what this would mean for the fight against homophobia in football. First up, the thoughts of Nathan. It's, it's difficult because although it is someone that is that has come out and it's amazing, like although it's like quite obviously it's far away, but it's it's good just to see that like people can have that confidence and be be kind of saying to themselves like I'm willing to take on whatever comes my way so I think the only players that are at the team now people who may want to join in the future it kind of gives them a bit of confidence as to to kind of have that confidence and be that take that next step as to join like a local team or just even to come out to, to like their friends or family or whoever I don't want to like, you know, have a go at him, but like, I, I really like football, um, but I've never heard of him. So like, I know quite a lot of footballers in many different like tiers of football and many different areas of football. But, and not that he shouldn't have done that or that it was wrong for him to do that and announce it in the way that he did. I think that's great. But if it was someone more high profile, I think it would have meant more, but also like, I'm reluctant to say, oh, we need someone to come out. Because the, what I do think is important is people like, who aren't gay, like Harry Kane, and know Harry Maguire's come out and spoke about it, Jordan Henderson. Those people who aren't gay talking about the fact that the the abuse and stuff is, is wrong. I think that's probably, that those people, because of their profile, is maybe more important than 
someone like um, Josh. You know, does a player have to come out publicly in England? Do you think change maybe the culture? But your answer kind of suggests that maybe that wouldn't be the case. I really don't know. I feel like, you know, having allies is, is amazing. And it does have, it has like a huge kind of impact on everyone. And it is important that you have people on both sides kind of talking about it. I, I do feel like if there was to be someone that would come out, then it would, it's quite difficult. It's like a benchmark to see what would happen afterwards. But whether it's the answer, I, I, I don't know whether it's the answer or not. But I still feel like there needs to be someone in the kind of present day. Yeah, I yeah. think a group of people because it's a lot to put on one person, isn't it? Really, like a lot of our clubs be talking about it. But I think, like, <laughs> um, I think maybe a group from like different clubs to not make it so partisan. Because, like, if a Spurs player did it, how are the Arsenal fans going to react? So, if it was like a group from five or six teams, I think that would probably be uh, be more beneficial than just one person needing it. Right. Let's go back to Proud Baggies for a second. And Neil Basterfield also felt like the coming out of Josh Cavallo was a massive event. But at the same time, similar to Liam and Nathan, he was probably conscious as well of the media's reaction to such an event in England. I mean, that's huge. I am going to make a point around a media obsession with uh, players coming out. And actually, the big problem in LGBTQ plus issues in football is around is with fa- is fans and other fans. So that media obsession, of course, they want a Premiership player to come out. Of course, there are gay Premiership players, and you know, and that probably we know some of them. You know, and the press knows some of them, but for you know, holding back, thank goodness, and not outing people like they would have done in the past. So that being said. Someone like Josh clearly get, you know, being the first playing professional uh, in the men's game to come out was huge. And it's given the cause a huge platform and fantastic. And I salute Josh for his bravery. Can't be easy. The abuse that he's gotten as a result of that is really shocking um, because it's gone global. But let's hope he's paved the way for others and and we can move on quickly from this obsession with you know players coming out when actually like I say day in day out there's two issues one is LGBTQ plus fans being involved in football as fans and being made to feel welcome and safe is the big issue for me Um, and secondly encouraging more people to participate in sport from our community it's going to take someone to come out and then there'll be a massive furore and then maybe it'll all die down and we can actually focus on you know what really matters which is mm. you know everybody and this whole obsession with someone's personal life and an intrusion you know and expecting people to play to the media and you know, people don't want to come out so yeah. be it i don't blame them and great for them now of course looking forward to the 2022 world cup in qatar it's as much as we want it to come home, as much as we think England can win it, you know, there's a more serious part to it that's been in the news. And it's all about, of course, their human rights record. There are a lot of concerns considering same-sex relationships being directly criminalised under the laws of the Gulf state, leading to a worry over the well-being of LGBTQ plus people visiting the country for the tournament. So do Birmingham Blazers, Liam Rivers and Nathan Brown think football has taken a step back by having the World Cup in Qatar? I don't know if it's a step back because, first of all, I don't know how far we'd step forward. And the last World Cup was in Russia and they're not exactly open-minded on that that sort of thing. So, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of, of like podcasts about um, this World Cup coming up. And I, 
it's a disgrace on on every level really isn't it not just in terms of lgbt rights but human rights think of the migrant workers women's rights i mean i don't even know whether i want us to play or whether i'd be annoyed that we boycotted it because actually we might win it but um it's certainly not a, a step forward like okay people are talking about it people say it's an opportunity for change but should you say oh well we'll give you the world cup and see if you change no we'll give you the world cup if you change and they haven't and they've got the world cup as long as like there's a message still out there and it's still being spoken about especially like well in a lot of western kind of countries if, if the message is there and it's quite there in unison at least then we are doing what's right in for ourselves whether other people take it on board or not that's on them after a long couple of weeks of, of speaking to neil and the players from Birmingham Blaze, me and Owen decided to have another catch-up to reflect on what we've learned. So Owen, I think what we can probably take away is that football's at a pretty low base when it comes to tackling homophobia, and we're very much crawling rather than walking. There's an awful long way to go. But it does also seem like, though, there is a hope, but possibly also a reliance as well on the next generation of fans and footballers to come in and shift that culture. I completely agree, Jack. And we asked both Liam and Nathan what their advice would be for that next generation who may be a bit unsure on their sexuality and who may be a bit unsure on getting involved in football as a result of it. You don't realise when you're like a young person, um, which we're not anymore, unfortunately, when you're a young person that, you know, football isn't always forever and you do miss that. So getting back into it can be quite difficult and taking that plunge is, is great and it can be scary, but getting back into it does really sort of like add something back into your life. Being able to play football, like how much fun it can be. It can be, it does so much for you, like mental health wise, like it kind of takes away like any kind of stuff that you may have or whatever. And you're just there playing with amongst other people, like-minded people. And you're just having like, you know, just fun. You have a laugh, you have a kick around. And in some cases you make amazing friends from it. And that's, you know, it's a bonus. So. You know, whether it's our club or not, it's just great to kind of have something that kind of takes your mind off the madness that is the world. So can we learn more from other countries abroad and messages that are being sent elsewhere? When we look at St Pauli, the German second division side, they have great support for the LGBTQ plus community. Or even Portland Timbers, what they do is absolutely amazing. Neil Basterfield certainly thinks there are things we can learn. God forbid I'd say like American sport can teach us. <laughs> um, but their activations, you know, where they kind of have a special events and days and stuff, are absolutely brilliant. They know how to entertain. And, you know, I think there is stuff we can... I, I don't think that's we're ready for that in its whole guise of bells and whistles but there's definitely stuff we can learn and we are learning and we are doing more of it and we are dedicating more games to anti-racism and you know lgbt stuff we need to think more about the culture of disability hate particularly mental illness and neurodiversity where it's perfectly acceptable particularly on social media to use disability hate speech and no one would even pick it up at least racism and to a certain extent homophobia is getting at least attention. So there's still, you know, stuff around that awareness stuff and making it fun and, you know, encouraging people to kind of join in like they do in American sport and, and across in some places in the continent is a really good way, definitely a way to do that. Lecturing people doesn't work. I think we know that. 
But learning to go forward and change the culture means eradicating all forms of discrimination. And that's where me and Owen wanted to look at next. And if we've created a situation where they feel it's right to target the victim of racist abuse and boo him, something seriously has gone wrong in the narrative around that incident. Turnstiles to Touchlines was presented, produced and edited by Jack Carson and Owen Taylor. With thanks to Neil Basterfield from Proud Baggies, as well as Matt, Liam and Nathan from Birmingham Blaze for helping us along in the second part of our journey as we try to find out if there really is a troublesome culture plaguing English football. Travel.